it would end two to one. When we first selected that clip, we didn't realize that a two to one U.S. loss would feel so bitter as it does today. I promise you I won't dwell for extended moments on the loss yesterday. I will only say you've got to defend and you've got to finish. That's really all I've got to say. My goodness, you can't blame us. Okay, and I'm back. Well, the reason we're using this clip in this, uh, this event is because at the backdrop of the World Cup and the Olympics, always at the backdrop, are political and social and cultural tensions. And, and those two events, worldwide events, people come from all over, with uh, wars having been fought or still being fought, with entirely different views on what's appropriate and how life should be lived, and they gather together in stadiums, and they gather together on fields and, and, and battle against one another, and Iran, U.S. was a classic example of that. But quite honestly, we're not using that event as the key. We're going to drop two years back. That event, Iran, U.S., was happened. Uh, what happened? Happened because Iran was in the World Cup. Iran was in the World Cup because two years earlier, they played Bahrain and Iran, and they beat them. And the real headline for us in that incident of uh, Iran, Bahrain was was this: five women tried to sneak into the stadium. Now you ask why they have to sneak into the stadium. Did they not have the money to buy a ticket? Was it, were all the tickets sold out? No. They tried to sneak into the stadium because women in Iran are not allowed to watch men play soccer. Two reasons. One, there's a law. Uh, women cannot watch semi-naked men compete in athletic contests because it will arouse inappropriate sexual stimuli. In addition, at that day, the owner, Laura Nott, was afraid of what would happen were women coming to the stadiums to watch this. This was not appropriate and could not happen. Here is a religious rule. A religious rule that says women, if they play soccer, must be in full Muslim dress, heads covered, legs covered. Women cannot play professional soccer, even against other women, because they might come into contact with the male referee. And women cannot watch men play soccer because they're wearing shorts. Now, we look at that and we go, oh my goodness, really? This is what you think religion is? I'm, it's bad. I mean, let's not, let's, we won't, I, I won't say, it's bad, obviously. And it's, it's worse because it's one gender that's being excluded. However, the concept is not an unfamiliar one to Christianity. We like rules. We have created all sorts of rules about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. At a Christian school, a girl wears a dress that is provocative and so pass a rule, no dresses. It's simpler. We don't have to deal with whether it's provocative or not. Just pass the rule, no dresses. There's a problem with alcoholism at some level in the country and so we pass a rule, no drinking. Drinking's bad. Drinking's now a sin. Some people gamble and lose their houses. And so, not only is gambling bad, but in some churches, cards are bad. You know, little square things with numbers and faces. They're bad. 
We pass rules left and right because we like rules. They make us feel more comfortable. They make us feel safer. They protect, protect us against the big bad world, and so we create rules. Now, if you've been here more than a week, you know that I routinely lambaste the rules. Doing something like this, in a parody, in a mocking tone of voice, really, Christianity, if you want to be a good Christian, here's ten things to do. And on the flip side is ten things not to do. And if you do those and don't do that, you'll be just fine. And I'll say often that that is a that, in fact, is a parody of Christianity and has nothing to do with it. And quite honestly, in my opinion, is the death knell to Christianity, is this belief that we set up rules, we set up boundaries, we set up arbitrary man-made guidelines that protect us, and it's not okay, it'll actually kill true spirituality. Today, I'll explain why I think that's so. I said at the end of the first service, I don't know if I'll be remembered five minutes after I perish, after I leave the earth. However, if I am, I would like to be remembered as somebody who relentlessly sought to destroy soul-killing, rule-based, joyless spirituality. Because it has nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. Now, having said that, are there times when rules are good? Of course. There are legitimate boundaries. Quite honestly, God gives us some legitimate boundaries. Are there times when rules and regimen help us live our lives well? Of course. There are times when you find a certain rhythm to life and when and how you read the Bible, when and how you pray. Some of you fast on a regular basis. You do it periodically. You're not bound by it. You don't think people who don't do it are somehow sinners, but it it helps you to develop a rhythm to life. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is man-made rules that become what God says is the right way to live. Jesus is less strict than that sort of religion is. You could go through a a whole series of examples, but in one of them, I'm going to give you the backstory. There's an example. It's in in the book of, of Matthew, which is one of the stories of Jesus' life. And on that day... Jesus was living in a certain way on the Sabbath that the religious folks didn't like. Now, you understand, the Sabbath was, I'm going to give you, here's the short, if you ever heard the term Sabbath, here's what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was God saying, okay, there's seven days in a week. Take one off, idiot. Don't spend your entire life working. Six days you shall labor, and the seventh day, stop working. You'll kill yourselves. I know what you people are like. You'll become workaholics. Take a day off. Relax. Take it easy. Really, that's the Sabbath. Go back and read in the beginning. Six days you'll labor, the seventh day rest. That's all it is. Well, out of that simple, simple rhythm of life, a whole series of rules were created. And those rules were crazy. Such that, here's the day, Jesus is, they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. And they walk up to him and a guy who's, has, his arm has withered. And they say to him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And in my opinion, he looks at him like, you've got to be kidding me. Really? You want, let me get this straight. You want to know if it's okay to do good on the Sabbath? Give me your hand. Heals it and he says, of course it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. How badly have you misunderstood? And later he would say, the Sabbath is for you. 
It's something given to you for your good. It's not a rule intended to bind your life. That group had turned the rules into what God says is the way to live. And outside of them, you're a sinner. A number of years ago, I was in Russia. It was so long ago that it was not Russia. It was the Soviet Union. I was in Moscow, and we had spent... We were over there essentially talking to people and and gathering them to groups and asking them if they wanted to explore Christianity. And the days were hard. We had food that was not good. And the days were hard, and that way we were. And we, so we got to the end of the night, and I was staying at Moskovsky Gazudasfeni Universitet, which means Moscow State University, MSU, Moscow State. There I was, and it was in the, in the evening, and we were tired, and the, the dorms were not nice. I mean, I, I don't know what the dorms were like if you've gone to college. These were not nice. But we, were, we would just want to have some fun. We just want to relax a little. Somebody, somebody pulled out a deck of cards. And, and we started to play. And uh, to make it a little more interesting, we, use, we were uh, using rubles. And, you know, at the current time, a ruble is worth like a billion rubles equals a dollar. You know? And so we're playing with rubles. It was, it was like Monopoly. And, and somebody walked in, an, another group of Christians from a different, different country, actually, and they saw us gambling. And they had this sort of benign look on their face that was, what you guys doing? We're playing cards. Oh, do you know gambling's a sin? And the first thing I said, it just popped out. We're playing with rubles. <laughs> Seriously, I could bet a, a, I can afford to lose a wheelbarrow full. <laughs> Stuff like that drives me crazy. Gambling is a sin. Really? Show me that. Show me anywhere that God says gambling is a sin. Anywhere. Now, do I think you should go out and gamble and lose all your money? Of course not. And so well, what we decide is, oh, gambling's a sin. I, I know, Jesus, you didn't say that. Trust us. We, we'll get the rules down for you, you know? You're, you're, Jesus, you're a little bit too loose <laughs> on the rules. We'll create some nice, tidy rules. We can, we can get a good box here, and we'll just... Stand in it. Because, Lord, if we get out of this box, we might be on the slippery slope. Let me just... You're all on the slippery slope. <laughs> Seriously, you're always on a slippery slope. There's, it's the whole world is a slippery slope. You can always slip somewhere. And so what we do is we put a little box because if I can just... I'll nail myself to the slippery slope so I don't go anywhere. No drinking, no dancing, no smoking, no watching TV, no watching movies. Create your own rules, your own set that keeps you nice and safe. So what's wrong with that? I mean, come on. Why does this bother me so much? What's wrong with that? It'll kill you. And it's nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing. Here's what Jesus said. One of the constant, if you haven't read through the Gospels, which are the stories of Jesus' life, I encourage you to do so. You'll see what actual Christianity is like. And one of the things is, Jesus at one point, he's, call, he's giving analogies. He's calling himself the good shepherd. And, and he uses the word good and for, for a reason. And at one point he said, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. Ultimately translated, I've come that they may have abundant life. I came to give you more, not less. But you say, okay, but, but couldn't more be found in, in constricting my life? Because after all, Jesus also said, don't be in the world. Okay, what does that mean? Don't be in the world. Because he also said right before that, be in the world actually, but not of it. Go out into the midst of our world. Don't nail yourself to the slippery slope. Go move out in the midst of it. Live freely. Adding rules to Christianity is not your friend. Here's two reasons why. Number one, if you live a rule-based existence as a Christian, you will live a joyless life. You will live a life that is bounded, not full of joy. You will live a life where essentially you look at the people around you and you say, come join me as a Christian. It's not much fun. You're not going to really have any joy, but Lord, you'll be safe. That is just so winsome, isn't it? And that's the sort of view that Jesus was, I mean, he's banging his head against the wall. Seriously, you, get, you think the picture I'm giving you of the Christian life is no joy, no fun. I mean, how do you think that people came up with the notion that Christianity, this is what I used to be before I was a Christian. This is, this, is, this is what sin is. Sin is God went through and he figured out all the things that we like and he says, you can't do them. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, you know, I didn't realize y'all would like that, that you can't do that either. And God just made all the things that we actually enjoyed, he made those into things that we couldn't do anymore. That notion exists because Christians have perpetuated it. The church has perpetuated it for years. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't dance. Don't gamble. Don't wear provocative clothing. I'm not encouraging you to wear provocative clothing. Lord, it gets to be taped and somebody will say, he's saying you should wear provocative clothing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you live your life with the rules determining how you live, you will exclude, systematically exclude joy from your life. And that's not Christianity. That's just some religion. If you want to go ahead and do it, go do it, but don't call it Christianity. And in the book of Worship of the Old Testament, a book called the Psalms, the Songs, and Psalm 16. This is what it says about God. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's God. And so we have a God who's shaking his head going, I think you've missed the point. I'm a being who, in my presence, there is fullness of joy. Not a little, not carefully moderated. Fullness of joy. At my right hand, there are pleasures forever. And you're living this little cramped life, afraid of venturing out into anything. And you're living this life where you say, well, I'm a, a Christian. Let's have a new bumper sticker. Christian, not fun, but at least I won't get into trouble. No joy, but I won't do the wrong thing. It isn't Christianity. A joyless Christian life is an oxymoron. Man-made rules are not your friend. They are your enemy. They will destroy, they'll create, you're living a life of fear. 
Why do we create all those rules? Because we're afraid if we get outside of the box, we're going to get into trouble. Fear is not the mantra of the Christian life. Courage is. Don't match the world around you's worldview. But don't be afraid to move fast and hard into it. Make a rule-based Christianity, you'll live a joyless life. The second thing it will do is it will create rebellion. If you gain 10 or 15 pounds and then you go to put on your belt, what happens is the belt is now tighter. And with the belt being tighter, you're still trying to use it even though it doesn't fit that well. And so you're bringing it across. This is, real, this is physics here. The 10 or 15 pounds doesn't cease to exist. You simply displace it. If the belt goes here, it comes here or there. It's going to go one way or the other. It doesn't go away. Constricting your stomach does not take the weight away. It just pushes it somewhere else. Here's the key. You have legitimate desires. You've got real desires. Human beings were created with passion. They were created with a quest and a thirst for joy. They were created to know and to love beauty. If you systematically rule in your desires, they don't go away. They find a place to escape. Try telling a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, over and over what they cannot do. And then they will discover the very thing they want to do. Don't kid yourself. Try telling a 35-year-old the things they cannot do, and they will find a way to do those very things. Why? Because you actually have desires. You see, the problem with the rule-based religion, what it attempts to do is to take your desires and belt them in so they can't go anywhere. They'll go somewhere. They'll create rebellion. First, resentment that God stamps on your legitimate desires. And second, rebellion, because you will play the game for a while. We're in the Southeast. You're supposed to be a good Christian. No, no, I don't drink, except when I'm home alone, and then I go through like two six-pack a night. No, no, I would never gamble, because gambling's wrong, except when I go online and play online poker for hours on end. You see, if you believe Christianity is giving you a system of rules that actually are stricter than God, you'll find ways around them. You'll play the game until you get the point of deciding, I don't want to play the game anymore. And then you decide, I'm leaving Christianity because it doesn't understand me. A rules-based, strict view, fundamentalistic form of Christianity will kill your soul. It will rub out joy and it will create rebellion. And it's not Christianity. So, two things. If you are not a follower of Jesus, what I desperately would like you to know this morning is you may have come in here today going, all right, I don't really think I want to become a Christian, but I'd prefer not to go to hell. And I'm screwing up my life pretty badly. So maybe it's time to get inside the box. Close the door, shut it in, say goodbye to happiness, but be safe and screw up 30% less. That's not Christianity. The being 
who exists in eternal joy is calling you to himself. And he's saying to you, I have for you joy and beauty and courage. I do not give you a dour, fearful faith. I give you joy, beauty, and courage. Come into that. Receive a relationship from a God who loves you desperately and experience more from life than you ever thought possible, not less. If you came in believing Christianity was going to put you in a box, it will not. It will be the one thing, quite honestly, that will free you and give you the life you've wanted. If today you are sitting back and you're going, okay, that is interesting. (laughs) That's not what I expected. Good. Take one of these cards, make it at the World Cup, turn it right side up, and put on there, I want to talk to somebody about this. We'll get back to you very soon, talk to you about what it means to enter a relationship with Jesus that will bring joy to your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, be very, very wary of adding rules into your life that are not his. If, he, if, if God gives you a rule, if you look in the Bible and you think, you know, the way to the Bible teaches this, then, then it's there because God knows that'll sabotage your life. For example, adultery. Seriously, if you go through the Bible over and over again, God's not saying, I know you like it. I know you enjoy adultery, but I'm telling you no. He's saying, can you put fire into your lap and not get burned? then why do you think if you betray the wife of your youth, it will go well? I love you. I'm calling you away from that. So, God puts legitimate boundaries on our lives because he cares about us. Be very wary of adding your own. There are times when you have to add restrictions to your life because of who you are and of how you live. Number one, do not make your restrictions everybody else's. And number two, make sure they're actually ones you should live out and don't bind your life. Because quite honestly, it seeps in everywhere. It seeps in everywhere. We start to take positions. We start to enact ways of living because we're afraid. Not because we're free and we're being wise. Because we're afraid. There is a world outside of these doors that we live in every day. And that world needs to know that they can have joy and peace and beauty and courage. And if we're afraid to walk into the realms where everybody else lives, they'll never see it. If we're afraid to walk into the art world, if we're afraid to walk into a bar, if we're afraid to walk into the sporting arena, if we're afraid to walk into business, if we're afraid to walk in where everybody else lives, they will never see it. And so my challenge to you, if you're a follower of Christ, do not be bound by fear. Do not let the rules bind your life. What God has called you to is joy, beauty, and courage. Move into the world full of that. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray you would dispel notions of you as a dour taskmaster and give us instead a vision of you as a being of ultimate and complete joy that calls us into that. Lord, show us the difference between wisdom and simply adding rules to our life. Allow us to live freely, looking to you, trusting that you will show us ways to live, trusting that we don't need to nail ourselves to the slippery slope, that you are our God who promises to protect us, and to give us courage as we move into the world around us. We thank you that this is true faith. We thank you that this is true religion. 
a God who loves us desperately and has called us to a life that is far more joyful than we could have apart from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be baptizing a young woman named Heather England. And before we do so, I'm going to show you on video her story. was really fortunate to be able to go to lots of different churches when I was growing up and learning about Jesus and God through lots of different views and people. But then when I got older, um, I just I just started questioning everything. Nothing seemed like it made sense. And people would ask, you know, are you a Christian? I would tell them, well, I believe in God, but I don't really know what it means to be a Christian, and I would tell them that, you know, oh, I just am not ready. I don't have time yet to study it and to really learn what it means and to decide if that's what I was. It wasn't until my roommate was being, in college, was being pulled in by God very hard, and he was pulling out her heart, and she began reading the Bible, and joining youth groups and um, things on campus and becoming really involved with it. And I think that's really when it started pulling at my heart again. I came to Warehouse with a friend, and the very first day I was here, uh, Bruce said, you know, there is no right time. There's no time to wait. The time is now, and it... It just made me just breathe easy and uh, know that I didn't need, you know, all these things to be right. I didn't have to wait until I was the perfect person or until I knew everything that I could just let down those walls and start then. I really, here at Warehouse, felt the presence of Jesus Christ and God and it it was a really moving experience, and I came back to Warehouse again for probably six months, and I enjoyed it, and then I got pulled away. It was weird the day that I came back because it was the week before my friend, my roommate in the beginning, um, before she was being baptized, and when I saw her be baptized, I wanted it. I wanted what she had gone through, I wanted a closer relationship with Jesus, and I wanted it now. It gave me the courage to know that I didn't have to wait. Sunday, I think it was the actual Sunday that after she was baptized, um, we were doing communion, and even though when I was younger, you know, Jesus was in my heart, and I, I was a follower, and it just seemed like it wasn't right still. So during communion, I prayed to God and to Jesus to fill my heart and um, be with me and walk with me and to know that I was thankful for 
what he had done for me and really just thinking about him on the cross and that he did that for me. Every communion since it's always felt like really emotional because I get to relive that moment of Jesus rushing in my heart. But still wasn't enough because I just I just feel like something's still missing. And um, that's led me to want to be baptized. I want them to know that my baptism doesn't only mean that I'm experiencing and receiving God's love, but that I'm ready to share and grow together and learn more about God and be there for this community. It's just, it's so overwhelming to think that somebody loves you all the time. Thanks, Heather, for being willing to share your story and being willing to come up on, on stage. I know that's a interesting moment, but it, you know, baptism. I think you articulated very well what goes on today is that you've come into relationship with Jesus. You know He loves you, and this is a this is a marker moment. It's a moment where I think it'll be today. I think will be like that communion day was for you. It'll be something that you'll remember as long as you live, because it will illustrate a passion and a love of God that He has for you that will never fade. And as you, when we finish baptizing you, as you stand up, as you rise, you rise as someone who has been uh, filled with the presence of God. And because of how he's poured extravagantly his life and his love into you, you live based on that going forward. So I'm going to ask Heather one question, and then I'm going to ask you all one question. Heather, as you come forward to be baptized today, do you do so believing that Jesus Christ died for you and freely receiving him as the Lord and Savior of your life, do you? you? The community of Warehouse 242, as you look at Heather, will you promise as the community in which she is being baptized that you will walk alongside her, that you will seek to encourage her, to challenge her, and to love her, so that she, in cooperation with you, being used by the Holy Spirit, becomes all the beauty of the woman of God God made her to be. Do you? Thank you. All right. Mark's going to help me with the tray, and Holly Norton, one of our elders, is going to help with the baptism. There we go. And Heather, why don't you go ahead and kneel? And what I want you all to notice, thanks, Holly. When I, and we warn everybody who gets baptized here, when I pour this water, it will seem like a stunning amount of water. And for the person being baptized, it's like, oh, will it ever end? It's on purpose, because water in the Bible symbolizes life, and it symbolizes the presence of the Spirit. And as we baptize, what we want to symbolize is that the love of God through the death of Jesus Christ and his ongoing presence will never stop. It's extravagant. It's an overflow, and it will be with you all the days of your life. So, Heather, because Jesus Christ died for you and rose for you, and because you, at a real moment in space and time, asked him to forgive you, and he has indeed come rushing into your life. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Tim and uh, Heather's family, why don't you come up? We're going to pray for Heather. And Holly and Mark, why don't you come on up? Here, another one. Let's pray for Heather. Lord, we thank you for Heather. We thank you for how you created her, that in her is the image of God, made by you, made for you, made in beauty, and made for joy and freedom. I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that your love was expressed in a practical way on our behalf, that you, out of passion for Heather, came to earth, died on a cross, and rose, and then called her to yourself. I thank you for her friend Mallory and how you used her to draw Heather to yourself. I thank you for Heather's courage. And at a moment in time, she stepped forward and said, this is what I want. I want forgiveness, and I want life with you. And I thank you for this moment. I pray that you would indeed walk with her every moment of her life. I pray that she would know joy without bounds. I pray that she would know courage in the challenging moments. I pray she would know beauty even in the midst of difficult times because you, this day and every day forward, are her God her Lord, her lover, and her Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.